You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Salwe, welcome to The Worship Review. This is a podcast where we look at the music that is being sung in the church in the hopes that we can provide some helpful commentary to pastors, worship leaders, and just people who listen to worship music uh, to help them discern whether the music that they're singing is truthful and scriptural uh, and is going to ultimately be edifying and encouraging to the church. My name is Colin. I'm a history professor at a large research university in the Midwest. And I'm joined by my co-host, Tyler. I'm Tyler. I'm a linguist and avid learner. Tyler and I also both happen to have led worship quite a bit in kind of evangelical churches. We had, you know, between us have probably two or three decades of experience doing that. And so now we're sort of using our experience to, to help out. And today we are looking at a song called Cornerstone by Hillsong. This is part of a series of podcasts when we're looking at hymns that have been redone, and Cornerstone is actually a new version or a kind of soft reboot of the song My Hope is Built on Nothing Less by Edward Mote. So, yeah. Tyler, let's talk a little bit about this song, Cornerstone, which, by the way, has about 100 million views on YouTube if you add together the various versions that Hillsong has put out. It is uh, it's quite popular Hillsong song. Very successful song. The following of Hillsong is quite quite fervent in their yeah. passion for them. And of course, if you listen to Christian radio, you know this song, and you know this song by its chorus, right? Yeah. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. So what we hope to bring is insightful commentary about the other verses of the song as well as that chorus. Yeah. Well, let's begin doing that, Tyler. Can I just ask you for your kind of introductory or summary thoughts about the song, what's happening, that sort of thing? Absolutely. This song is about the sure, certain foundation upon which a Christian can build their life as sinners in an uncertain world full of flood and danger. And we see in this song a mention of the Christian's hope, where that is found. We see a mention of darkness that uh, puts a barrier between us and Christ. Mm -hmm. We also see his second coming, near the end of this song. So we know that there is a a time where we will be found in him mm-hmm. by his grace. And the chorus calls him the cornerstone, which we know is Christ from scripture. And the weak are said to be made strong in this cornerstone. And he said also to be Lord of all. Mm-hmm. So that's a general 
overview of this song for some background information. Um, as you said, it's written by Edward Mote. He entered the ministry later in his life after working as a cabinet maker. Mm. And I'll argue later that his practical experience with tools and building structures right. would be helpful in understanding oh. all the discussions of frames. Yeah. <laughs> the, and interestingly, the original title for this hymn was The Immutable Basis for a Sinner's Hope. <laughs> I'm glad he changed it somehow. You know, the new version is slightly more catchy, the new title. If anyone from Hillsong ever happens to stumble across this podcast and listen to this episode, please, I beg you, change the title of this song <laughs> to The Immutable Basis for the Christian's Hope. It, it would make me so happy. Yeah. Hillsong, know. by the way, this is just a little insider baseball here, but it might be of interest. Copyright is a continual area of contention. And I have to say, Hillsong have been very uh, generous, and they've not tried to copyright strike us or anything like that uh, with what we do. So we're very grateful to them for that. Other other Christian artists have not been so friendly. And we're very thankful that your ministry is reaching millions of people and bringing people to faith. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Now let's actually uh, maybe get into this a little bit. Although I guess I just want to say one thing in summary that would just add to what you said was all of the strong declarations about God's character. So it's a song that is about my hope, like the hope of the singer and kind of the life of the singer, but always looking towards what God has done and God's, and, you know, God's characteristics. To talk about the first verse then, which yeah. does this quite prominently. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus's blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Excuse me. They say holy trust in Jesus' name. Yes, we have to. We have to. I noticed that difference too, which I found interesting, and maybe you can talk about because you were saying that the individual that wrote this song had some background in construction, building cabinets and, you know, little carpentry. So, yeah, it helps, maybe that will help illuminate a line which I have always been unsure of its meaning, and that is, I dare not trust the sweetest frame. It's a strange, to me, to my modern ear, that's a strange thing to say. Even Yeah, why don't we just talk about this now, since we've already kind of dug into it. I've heard explanations for this that say, don't think about this like a literal frame. This isn't like a, you know, something you prop up a... Like a framing of a house or something. Yeah, or a window or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, think about it as a frame of mind or a frame of reference. It's a, mm-hmm. it's figurative for any structure or um, substance. And we have expressions like frame of mind, frame of reference. Also, it, even in scripture, in the King James Version, the body is referred to as the frame, right? He knoweth our frame. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think, given this guy's background, the the simplest, most literal interpretation of this word is really helpful. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. It is the frame of a house. It is the structure that you build a house around. Mm-hmm. Why would I say that? Well, because this is quite obviously a reference to Luke 6, yeah. where he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? 
and do not do what I tell you. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who builds a house on a ground without a foundation. Mm. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Now, carpenters know that a frame is not exactly a foundation, right? Yeah. Um, but I think in the context of this parable, water's coming to wash away a house from its bare structure seems to point to a frame, even though the text says foundation. Mm-hmm. So... Um, when this author says, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, he's talking about what he has built his house around by either obedience to Christ's commandments or not being obedient to Christ's commandments. The author dares not to put his faith in anything other than Christ's name. That is the only safe, secure foundation that will not be shaken. Any other way in which you build your house, your your figurative house, um, whether you build it on your success or your popularity or your fame or your you know, acumen, uh, that will inevitably collapse. A shame, because I have all those things. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the, what you're saying about frame makes total sense to me. But what would sweet? What would be a sweet frame? Why would it be sweet? So, is there some other use of sweet that we? are unaware of other than like taste sweetness of taste right because sweet seems to seems to mean saccharine to us very sugary like could could a wood frame be sweet i think frame is a structure obviously used metaphorically here but not referring to a frame of mind a frame of reference or our body but a structure upon which to build your house and it's sweet because it would be seductive or pleasant to do mm-hmm. and instead of trusting in any other sweet frame, this author wholly leans on Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. I like the opening line My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness because I think it does two things that we miss. We might, we might be inclined to miss, and that is it, it differentiates between his blood to expiate God's wrath. So to appease God's righteous anger, his holy wrath for our wickedness, and his righteousness, which we are imputed as believers in Christ. So we have this beautiful double-edged sword of theology bound in one lovely line. It's one of the greatest opening lines in all of history of Christian music, in my view for the exact reason that you mentioned. It just encapsulates pithily not only the essence of the gospel, but a theological reality that we are both given mercy through the blood of Christ and then grace through his righteousness. It's, it's fantastic. I mean, it's, it's akin to the the greetings of the Pauline epistles, you know, grace and peace. You know, it's it's just a beautiful, pithy saying, and just, it shows you the talent of this man where he was able to to do this. There's lots of these kind of little 
nuggets in this song, actually. This is just the first and probably the best mm -hmm. of all of them. Agreed. I'll add trusting in the name of the Lord is a scriptural thing to do. <laughs> yes, it's it is. All over the Bible. And we don't use, we don't typically talk about God's names like this anymore. We don't actually even talk about uh, trusting in someone's name. Like mm -hmm. if I were to say, I believe Colin will come, I wouldn't say, I trust in the name of Colin, right? But in the Bible, it's all over the place. God's right. name, I am who I am, Yahweh, was yeah. such an assurance to his people. Yeah. Uh, Psalm 20, uh, verses 7 and 8, I think, express this very well. And I think it it also mimics some of the not trusting in the sweetest frame uh, that we saw earlier. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall but we rise and stand upright. Mm, yeah. Kind of idea of structure falling, yeah. collapsing. That's beautiful. Tyler, you and I are both aware that there is some an omission here that's probably worth mentioning. Yeah. So the original hymn actually had a chorus, which is kind of unique because a lot of the time, these old hymns have a lot of verses and no refrain. No chorus. But this one does. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground sinking sand. This chorus reassures us that faith in Christ is building a secure foundation upon a rock that will not sink, unlike all of the other grounds where we could build our lives. Mm. Um, but there, there's a problem here that I think we've touched on before in the parable, he's talking about people hearing his words and doing them. That is the building upon the, the sure foundation. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it's erroneous to say then that the one who has faith in Christ is also building his foundation upon a secure rock. But it's a different thing to say mm -hmm. than what it seems like Jesus was saying, that the one who hears his words and does not do them is building his House, on the, House sand. on the sand. Yeah. So it's a different thing to say, but it's a true thing to say. Yeah. Yeah. It's most accurately reflects what scripture says. Tyler, let's talk about the chorus. Cornerstone. I mean, these are just like big power yeah. chords. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. So, Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm. <laughs> Gotta have the storm. Although, it works. Maybe we'll talk about that. <laughs> sure. The well flood. Yeah. At first I saw the, the through the storm thing. I was like, oh, great. There's either storms or fire, <laughs> right? And so, this is through the storm rather than through the fire. But is, then it... Is there storm in the original hymn yes there is yeah there's a storm yeah it, high and stormy gale yeah right exactly yeah okay fine we'll allow it <laughs> okay so, christ alone this is a, a fragment it's fine it may be even an address to god uh, but it's out of context it's not clearly explained what's meant by christ alone but i think we can infer yeah. that it's i place my faith in christ alone yeah. Yeah, yeah, I th yeah. It's a fragment which is annoying, but that's all that it is. It's just annoying. Christ is then called the cornerstone, which Peter famously 
said before the Sanhedrin, the stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone, which is from a psalm. Yeah, and Jesus himself calls himself the cornerstone. Weak made strong. So this inserted refrain emphasizes the fortification of the weak ones. There's nothing wrong with that, but the the original hymn is focused not around the strength of the one building his house, yeah. but the surety and strength of the foundation upon which it's built. Yeah, so right. it's not a problem to say weak made strong, but it is a different thing to praise. And it could become a problem, yeah. I would say. Yeah, it could. On the whole, though, um, I'm okay with it. It's just, this is the issue with fragmentary language in general, right? Without those articles and pronouns and verbs, you know, the things that make up the English language. Surprisingly enough, it's not very, it's not always precisely clear. There's something a little bit ironic about the he is Lord, Lord of all, because then you you accidentally have this couplet, Lord, Lord, yeah. which is what Jesus okay. was kind of ridiculing <laughs> yeah, in the parable. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's it. We're, we're going to call that a coincidence. Yes, surely. of course, yeah. of course. But it is yeah. just kind of that funny. That is, uh, obviously, as the probably even our tone of voice conveys, you know, I don't know why you need to have this chorus, but, but there's, nothing you know, there's nothing wrong with it. There isn't anything wrong with it. It's just, I, I my only objection would be purely like stylistic. But they've also altered the tune as well. Sure. With, and and they've taken a rather triumphant tune and made it into a little bit more meditative tune. So the da 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 like da da you can just the da da is a really good to you. But then in this is um da 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 Yeah. Da 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 I will say though, with the triumphant original is so fast that it's easy to miss these these are significant lyrics. Yeah. And it could it's easy to miss them if you're just belting them out. Yeah. You know. So I do kind of like the slowdown, at least in the Hillsong version. Definitely. I, I think I've heard versions of it that almost feel like halftime. So it, the original didn't feel that fast to me. Yeah. Tyler, when darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. Some pronouns in there. His, his. His being the Lord. Yeah. Although, uh, I will just say, the first time, first few times I sung this song, I thought his, the first his was darkness's his. I see. So like it darkness hit his own face, like the personification of darkness. Obviously, I realized that that was wrong, but just it was my first impression. Mm-hmm. But then I rest on his unchanging yeah. grace almost then would mimic that. Right. Yeah. So the this is an interesting idea that darkness would hide the face of God because we would imagine that God would not allow his face to be hidden by anything other than himself if he mm-hmm. wanted that. Um, but there's an interesting 
question here, can it? Um, Psalm twenty two twenty four says that he has, n- and we've talked about this yeah. verse in the past, he's not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. So you might be inclined to say, God doesn't hide his face, but he does yeah. all over the scriptures. Yeah. Because Even of your from sin, his own people. Yeah, I will hide my yeah. face from you because of your sin. Right. And in, in Isaiah 59, it's it's a little bit stronger because he is not the agent of the hiding here. Um, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. Wow. So that could imply that he's still doing doing the hiding uh, mm-hmm. that your sins have caused him to hide his face from you. But it says, your sins have hidden his face from you, which yeah. just l- would literally be Man. an obstruction that yeah. that our sin... Yeah, that kind of we see, right? The, God's face is still there. He's omniscient, right? Right. Yeah. It's really amazing to see that kind of precise language in, in the Old Testament. I mean, it's not amazing because we believe that Scripture is divinely inspired, but it's just yet another one of these... The, the many thousands of indicators that this is a cohesive set of Scripture, Old and New Testament, that it is clearly divinely inspired, right? Because all it takes is a, a little word off there to change the theological meaning of that. Yeah, I almost said this earlier, but the reason why theologians and lawyers and academics fight about a word— is because language is really important. And when you have fragments and things that are out of place, it doesn't make sense. And also, when you have it used properly, when you have something very complicated communicated in a clear and precise way, there's something beautiful about that. Yeah, it is. It's like a beautiful piece of art where where every detail has been painted exactly right. You know, it's, it's pretty. One of the things that I like about the line in the song, which is referencing this, is when darkness seems to hide his face. You which like would, that change. Yes, which would connect to that verse really well. The darkness isn't actually hiding his face. It just seems to. His face is there, but it seems to. And I especially like this more than the original, because I think the archaic language of the original is a bit difficult. So when darkness veils his lovely face... It's true that God's face is lovely, and it's true that the idea of the veil gives us a sense of that, too, where God's face is there, but there's just a kind of something translucent pr- protection or something, right, like, in a way. And I just like, I just think it's just a bit clearer for the modern uh, listener, or the modern singer, for us to say when darkness seems to hide his face. It gets across the same idea in language that we can understand. Sure. This, this passes the bar— that is set high for a reason for changing yeah. the original text. Yeah. Can I say I also like it because we have another veil in this same stanza. Yeah. So if you have darkness veiling his lovely face, and then you talk about his anchor holding within the veil, which is a different veil. Yeah. Uh, it's just so, confusing. Arguably. I, there may be a sense in which this was intentional. In oh, that really? It, if our sin does not allow us to enter the holiest of holies, and we're okay. separated from it sure. by a veil. Possibly, the darkness veiling his lovely face is an allusion to that. But that is quite a tenuous link to draw. Yeah, and, but, and then it, but it also seems kind of weird because we're talking about the veil as hiding his face from us. Well, okay, it kind of works, because it, it is true that it does both these things. 
but then that our anchor is within the veil, within the holiness of God, yeah. right? In the yeah. Holy of Holies. So, okay. Yeah, that could be quite elegant. But I, I, I'm, I'm actually happy with the change. I, I really do think that it communicates the exact same thing. And it may have lost some of the, the kind of poetic beauty of the consistency there. But uh, this is one of the rare cases where I'm, I really am okay with it. Sure. I think, I think it's actually an improvement. In no. every high and stormy gale. Mm-hmm. So this, this great storm is both tall and stormy, very, <laughs> very dangerous, yeah. very loud. Uh, my anchor holds within the veil. So we're at sea. I think my anchor. It has to be at sea. Yeah, yeah. That's so we're the storm. at sea, and there's a storm, and that is terrible, terrible place yeah. to be in a storm. Yeah. Um, I have to tell you, when I first heard this song many years ago, I was thinking, where did the veil come from? What, mm-hmm. Like, Me too. how do you how do you throw an anchor? Yeah. Into a veil. Yeah. Here's the answer. It comes from Hebrews. Yeah. Did you have this one yeah, too? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Good. Uh, Hebrews 6, 19 through 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain or veil, Yeah. where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So our anchor that holds within the veil, that is, that is past... As, as a man mm-hmm. has passed into the holiest of holies, is sure and steadfast. So yeah. this anchor that holds within the veil is Christ Jesus our yeah. Lord. Yep. Very, very beautiful, elegant, and... Scriptural. Sound scriptural yep. reference. Absolutely. So it, it's, a really, it's really nice. I do think it, it does need to be explained a little bit. That verse needs to be brought in, because otherwise... Otherwise, it, if you don't understand that verse, it really is nonsense. Yeah. Yeah, you're kind of thinking like, yeah, what is the veil? Is it like the veil that divides life from death? Or like, um, there's like the veil of tears Mm. in scripture as well. Is like the veil some technical name for something in a storm? That like like the eye of the storm, is there a veil of the storm? I don't think there is, but... You know, my, my point just is like, you would be wondering this as you sung it. Right, because veil, even in this scriptural passage is being used figuratively, right? Yeah. He's passed into the veil. He's not literally entering into a piece yeah. of fabric, but he's passing through the veil into the holiest of holies. And so when you hear this, it just sounds like nautical item holds yeah. within the clothing item. Yeah. But Paul, like a good, like the good, you know, author that he is, explains his metaphor. If only we could get more people to do that. <laughs> Although I am happy that nobody's emulating Paul's long sentences. Like, as much as I don't like the sentence fragments, sometimes I'll probably, I guess, take them over sentences that are hundreds of words long. And they're longer in Greek than they are in English. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When he shall come with trumpet sound, O may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless, stand before the throne. What a lovely thing to contemplate. Mm, That when he comes with trumpet sound, so signaling the 
coming judgment of Christ at the end of time. May I be found in him. This isn't just a, yeah. a, a oh, if only I could just be found in him, yeah. but rather uh, it's expressing a desire yeah. and and not one that's not secure. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's not a guess here. Yes. Yeah. So it, it when he comes with trumpet sound, I desire to be found in him and I will be found in him yeah. uh, because he's faithful, as we've already mentioned. And at this judgment, in this courtroom, right? I'll be dressed in his righteousness alone. Nothing that I could bring. Mm-hmm. Not only can I not bring my own righteousness, but I also am not penalized for my unrighteousness, yeah. right? So I am faultless before the throne of God. Mm-hmm. Um, it, this is an elegant and theologically wholesome verse. Yeah, and scriptural. It's a beautiful, beautiful metaphor. Really is. Definitely. So, yeah. Tyler, what What's missing here, though? So right before this final verse, there is a, there's a third verse that's missing. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. These are actually saying roughly the same thing, the two halves of this verse. When uh, the whelming flood, when all around my soul gives way, when there's chaos in life, when trouble, temptation... Mm -hmm is to come i am supported again not by my not by my good works not by my deeds not by my planning not by my success or my bank account i am supported by his oath his faithfulness to his own word his covenant his sacred pact with himself on our behalf and his blood these are what support me so the omission that i found is uh I think an, an an even older verse, which I had not sung before, and it goes like this. Not earth nor hell nor soul can move. I rest upon unchanging love. I trust his righteous character, his counsel, promise, and his power. I like that. Yeah, it's a really nice... Uh, it's a nice line. Um, I do think that... I can see why this verse has disappeared, and it's because the rest of the song does. There's nothing in here that isn't also in other p- parts of the song. So, again, it's a rare it's a rare case where the omission doesn't actually. I don't. I don't think damage the song. It's it's a nice. It is a nice stanza. But I, I also am intrigued by the end rhymes there. Yeah, the I know. I rhymes. thought of that too. Love and move. move. And par, yeah, you can hear, power. you can just hear it in some like old English guy's accent. Yes. Like, pa. Do you have any sort of summarizing thoughts? Of course you do. Yeah. What do. are they? This song is able to communicate complex theological truth in a way that's pithy and clear and elegant, and that I find praiseworthy. I am moved by the lyrics of this song. I am always moved when i read them and reassured that my not just i I don't just read it like i would read a a text but i am actually moved and think of how my hope my personal hope as tyler Mm -hmm. is built on nothing less than jesus blood and righteousness i find the omissions to be okay the there were a couple verses that we noticed were missing and neither one of them said something that was missing from the content of the rest of the song. Mm -hmm. 
And I find the insertion to be... At worst, it's just distracting. It, it doesn't really... It doesn't contain anything that I find objectionable. Mm-hmm. So those are my my concluding thoughts. Yeah, if I'm judging this purely on the words and not some stuff like style and and if I'm just 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 what's in front of me there's very little to complain about. It is true that there are some omissions and those omissions those omitted verses do have some useful and helpful language, but they don't provide anything that was desperately missing, if you ask me, from the redone version. Like, this is one of those rare places where these omissions seem somewhat sensible, although I find it strange that Hillsong managed to omit several verses and yet stretch these three verses into a seven-plus-minute song. Maybe I shouldn't be surprised. Hillsong are very good at that, making these long anthems. This kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about the melody being different. And the melody is not just different in a way that makes it a little bit more somber. It is different in a way that always leads into a chorus. Yeah. It it begs the chorus at the end of every verse because they, they end every verse with da, 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 muted right just kind of spacey interludes yep yeah which you know okay whatever but i'm not going to count that right if i'm not counting any of that those affectations right i think this is a great song yeah i really do what'd you rate it tyler colin i give it four out of five head nods (laughs) and here's why there's this trend that i've noticed recently I don't know why I never noticed it recently. I don't know why I didn't notice it until now. But singers, particularly American singers, shake their heads when they're singing something that's uh, that has a lot of pathos behind it. And they really mm-hmm. want to communicate that they're being sincere. So you can see this uh, woman singing in this song. And when she is really into it, her head goes from one shoulder to the other as she's carrying mm. this tune. I called, I, I said it's an American trend. I don't know if it's American. I just notice Americans that do it. So I can't say that. Is she an American or an Australian? She may be Australian because yeah. it's Hillsong anyway. Be careful. Um, Although we don't have a big listenership in Australia. So maybe it's okay to get some things wrong about them. <laughs> when they find it, yeah. they'll, uh, they'll uh, catch up with me. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, interestingly, the, the head, shaking might look like a no. So mm-hmm. that's why it was interesting as a paradox because she's shaking her head, but she's affirming what she's singing while shaking her head. And But I, in that context. Yeah. yeah. It, it works in that context, the nonverbal communication. In Bulgaria, I don't know if a lot of people don't know this, <laughs> you, you nod your head for no, <gasps> and you bring your head from one shoulder to the other for yes, like a, like a metronome. So it's really confusing Ooh. for a lot of uh, visitors to Bulgaria. Fascinating. I was on a basketball team once with a Bulgarian guy, and I wonder if we ever had miscommunication for that reason. I bet he was uh, 
he was saying, Colin is such an idiot. He's such a <laughs> terrible basketball player, nodding his, his head. His and head. you looked over at him, you were like, yeah, yeah. man. <laughs> Colin, what did you give this song? I uh, gave this song five out of five Michaels. Michael! <laughs> Michael. I'm sorry. Uh, Captain, this is my brother Joe. How are you? Incredible. I'm having an incredible year. And the reason for that is on the video that I watched, there was this guitar player that looked exactly like Jason Bateman. And it just looked exactly like him. And I just thought, Michael. I noticed that. I noticed a guy, I couldn't remember, I couldn't place his face, but yeah. I saw him playing the guitar and I yeah. thought, that guy looks really familiar. Yeah, it looked like Jason Bateman. That's okay. why. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Worship Review. Do please check out our backlog. We've got many episodes now that we have added. And of course, every week on a Monday, usually on a Monday, we drop a new episode. Who knows what's coming next week? Uh, But until then, check us out on Twitter. Send us some cash if you'd like to help pay for the expenses. Otherwise, oh, and tell your friends, of course, too. Do please spread the word. We want this podcast to be of service to you, to other people in the church. So let people know about it. Tweet about it. Send emails. Send it to your congregation. Give it to your worship leader. Just don't send an email that says, you really need to listen to this episode. Yeah. <laughs> that would not be helpful. I appreciate that, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, otherwise, uh, enjoy. Have a good week. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.